All right, well, we've been in a series for a few weeks now called Don't Judge. Uh, let's look at six, or excuse me, Luke 6, 37. Luke 6, 37 and 38. Luke 6, 37, it says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. And running over will be put into your bosom, for with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So we've uh, used this, and uh, on a scripture we'll read in Matthew, just kind of uh, a basis for uh, a, a platform for moving forward in some of these things. 37, Luke 6, 37 says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. So don't judge, and you won't be judged. If you judge, you're going to be judged. Um, going further in verse 39, it says, And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother... Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. Isn't it tempting to look at what other people are doing and say, well, you know, I can fix that for you. It's so easy, sometimes we think, to see what we need to, somebody else needs to do, but a lot harder to see what we need to do. Jesus is addressing this here. Matthew 7, verse 1, in the Passion Translation, it says, Refuse to be a critic full of bias toward others, <clears throat> and judgment will be, not passed on, be passed on you. For you'll be judged by the same standard that you've used to judge others. The measurement that you use will be used on you. Why would you focus on the flaw in someone else's life, and yet fail to notice the glaring flaws of your own, how could you say to your friend, let me show you where you're wrong, when you're guilty of even more, you're being hypercritical and a hypocrite. First acknowledge your own blind spots and deal with them, and then you'll be uh, capable of dealing with the blind spot of your friend. So we, we've talked about some of these things, these, these scriptures, uh, to a degree. And of course Jesus is saying, you know, why are you pointing your finger at somebody else? Take a look at yourself first. And then, like you said in, in Luke, then you would be in a position. If you got rid of this huge, I mean, imagine trying to remove a tiny little speck in somebody's eye, help them, and you have this huge plank sticking out of your eye. It's going to be very difficult. You can't get close enough to them to really do anything. You know, you're, you're trying. You look weird. You're, you're like, I'm trying to help you, but you, you look funny because, you know, if I'm trying to help Joe here and I got you know, four foot of a plank sticking out, I can't even reach him. I'm like, hey, I'm going to help you, and I'm banging him in the head with the, the two-by-four or whatever. I, it, I would do much better if I got rid of that first, and then I could see clearly to help him. And by the time I got there, I might have a little mercy on the fact he's got this little speck in his eye where I've been knocking everybody around with a two-by-four sticking out of my, my head. 
And so that's what Jesus is talking about here. Let's look at John 7, verse 21. John 7, verse 21. It says, Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work and you all marvel. Now he is referring uh, to John 5, where there was a, a man healed at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath. So this man, uh, there was this pool, people would try to get in it. At a certain time, the angel would trouble the water. And at that point, whoever the first one was that got in, they would be healed. Everybody else wouldn't. Um, and this man was there waiting, and Jesus talked to him, and he ended up getting healed. And so, but it was on the Sabbath, and that's what Jesus is referring to here. He had done other things, but this is uh, the thing that he was likely referring to earlier. Um, it says, Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave you circumcision. Not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? See, these guys are ticked off that Jesus healed a man on the wrong day. The, and we're going to see this likely if we get into some of the things I'm going to look at. They, they're, they're really mad that Jesus isn't keeping the law the way they think it ought to be kept. See, the, 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 the Sabbath is supposed to be uh, for man. It's supposed to be a blessing for man. It wasn't supposed to be that men were serving the Sabbath, but these guys have made everything a law, and so they're, they're actually mad that Jesus is doing what they perceive as work on the Sabbath when he's in fact healing somebody. They're angry that he didn't do it right. I wonder if they'd feel like that if it was them. Or if it was their mother or their brother or sister and, hey, this person's well. Well, it didn't, it didn't happen on the right day. Who cares? Verse 24, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. In the Amplified Classic, it says, be honest in your judgment. And do not decide at a glance superficially and by appearances, but judge fairly and righteously. In the Amplified, it says, do not judge by appearance superficially and arrogantly, but judge fairly and righteously. See, Jesus is saying, don't judge on the superficial. Don't judge on what you see. Judge uh, more accurately what other translations say, what is beneath the surface. Don't judge by appearances, judge fairly and righteously. In 1 Chronicles 28.9, you don't have to turn there, they'll put it on. See, God isn't concerned with just the appearance of things. He is concerned with much more what's going on in the internal of us and every person. 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9, it says, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and a willing mind, for the, the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intents, intent of the thoughts. The Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. Proverbs 16, 2 says, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. 
The Amplified Classic says, All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits, the thoughts and intents of the heart. God weighs the heart. What God knows what's going on in every person's internal being. Everything. It's, it's completely clear before Him. Psalm 139.1, this is David writing this. It says, O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. What's he saying? You know everything about me. God knows everything that we have done, that we've thought. He, men may look at the outward appearance, but God knows much deeper. He knows every motive, every inclination. He knows why. He knows how. He knows every, every word that was said in secret. He sees it's all bare before Him. And this is the way He looks at the world. Not surface, like Jesus said, don't look at the surface but judge righteously or correctly. Well, God can do that. 2 Corinthians 16, 9 says, For the heart, you don't have to turn to these, we'll put them up. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. He looks through the whole earth to find those to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God looks on the heart. He doesn't look on the stuff we often look at. He looks on the internals, the intentions, not on the outward appearance. Let's look at a, an example of this. Uh, 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. It's talking about David. It says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, so Samuel's the prophet of Israel at this time, it says, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, for I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, or set yourselves apart, and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked on Eliab, 
and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So he looks on the firstborn. He looks at the outward appearance. Now, Samuel is the one that uh, had anointed Saul. Saul was king, and Saul was head and shoulders above all the other men. Saul looked like a king. Saul looked like he should be king. You know, remember, we're not going to go into this, but Israel asked and asked God for a, a king. They wanted to be like the other nations. They, God, was, God was their king. They had a theocracy. God set it up the, the way He wanted Israel set up, but they kept asking Him, no, we want to be like other nations. We want it this way. We want to be under a king. And so finally, God relented. You know, if you badger God on certain things, He'll allow you to do certain things even though it's not His perfect will. We have a free will. But he allowed them to, be, to have a king. So Saul became their king. And Saul looked like he should be king. He looked like he ought to be the one in charge. He looked like he, I mean, physically, stature-wise, the Bible says he's head and shoulders above. So that means he's a head taller than everybody. He sticks out. You look at a crowd, there's Saul sticking up. He looks like a warrior. So, he was anointed king, and he had character flaws. He, he, didn't, uh, he didn't follow the instructions that he was given. He, he wasn't supposed to sacrifice in certain conditions, and he did it anyway. And then he, when, he, when he was called on it, he gave excuses why he did it. And he feared the people. He did it because of what the people that he was leading thought. And he just, he, he, even though he looked the part, he was disqualified. And so this is what uh, is being referred to here. At the beginning in verse 1, uh, the Lord, the first thing the Lord sa says to Samuel is, How long are you going to mourn for Saul? He said, Get up, I've rejected him. So he's sending him to the, this, um, his family, to Jesse's family, and he said, I have provided a king from among his sons. So Saul, or Samuel knows uh, Saul is rejected. Now he's going to pick, uh, select a king from uh, Jesse's sons. God did not tell him ex exactly what to look for. He didn't say who it was. He just said, You're, I have provided myself a, a king among his sons. Now you go. So he sees the first son. In verse 6, So it was when they came, they looked at Eliab, that he looked on Eliab, and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And he's saying, Look at this guy. Surely this is the guy. Surely this is the next king. What, what is he going on? What does he look like? We just got done with this. The guy that looked way more qualified than everybody else just blew it. And he's removed. I'm not knocking Samuel, I'm just saying he's still thinking. He's still thinking the same way. He's like, well, that guy didn't work. Okay, who's the next best looking on the outside guy that, that looks like he's going to be the right king? Verse 7, the Lord, but the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance 
or at his physical stature, because I have, what? I've refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For, the man, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, didn't we read several scriptures that said the same thing? God looks at the heart. He looks at the intents of the heart and of the mind. He, 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 he looks at the whole world. His eyes are going to and fro, seeing uh, who he can show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is toward him. Don't you think the Lord knows hearts? See, we men, women, we tend to look on the outward appearance. We tend to look at what things seem like. But this is not the way God looks at it. He looks at the heart. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for he looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Verse 8, So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all these young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with bright eyes, and good-looking, and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Notice, even his dad didn't think enough of, of David to even bring him to the lineup. His dad's thinking the exact same way. Okay, Samuel's coming. I'm just leaving David out with the sheep. But as soon as David came... The Lord said, arise, he's the one. What's the Lord looking at? His heart. He's not looking at what everybody else is looking at. Verse 13, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. God looks at the, the inward, what's going on on the inside, not on the outside. Let's look over at Luke thir, uh, 11, verse 37. Luke 11, verse 37. Jumping ahead just a little bit, how ought we to look at people? If God looks on the heart, should we be judging people by the outward appearance? Let me ask you another question. Do we know the heart of everybody? No. So should we be judging people by what we understand and what we see and what we think? We don't know their motives. We don't know their heart. Only God does. And how does He judge? On their heart. See, we tend to judge on what we see. We tend to judge on what we think somebody intends. But this is not the way God looks at it. We need to look and start to think like He thinks. Luke 11:37. look at this. And as he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and sat down to eat. When the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. Now look at this. Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God... 
is on the earth. He is God. And he is going to eat with these Pharisees, the Pharisees. And when they go to eat with them, they're pointing out and wondering why he's not washing like they wash. Because they would wash ceremonially and up to the elbow, all this stuff. And, you know, they would do things a certain way. But they are criticizing in their heart the Christ. We laugh. But we don't want to even fall remotely into this category. The Bible clearly says, and we know, Jesus did, he didn't sin in any way, shape, or form. Is it possible these guys are focusing on something that really doesn't matter that much? We already know, you know, we read earlier, uh, they were really ticked off when somebody got healed on the Sabbath because it was the wrong time in their idea. Do you understand that what the Bible tells, uh, what, what it laid out even in the law that the scribes and Pharisees and the doctors of law took each one of those instructions and they blew it up to mean what they thought it meant? You know, there's one part when I was at Ramah they were talking about, I can't remember how many pages that it was, when there's a verse that talks about getting the leaven out of the house, I think it was a Passover, and it blew up when the instructions were given on how this needed to happen. It was, I can't remember how many pages of instruction on one verse of the intent was don't have the leaven there. The intent was don't get your broom into the cracks and spend hours trying to get every grain. And that's what it became. You need to do it this way. Who said it wasn't God? It was these people's interpretation of this is the way it ought to be done. And for centuries, these people are putting these weights on the, the, the children of Israel saying, you ought to do this and this and this. Do it this way or you're not holy. And they're pointing that gun at the Christ. Anytime he would do so, they'd get ticked. If he, boy, if he messed with the Sabbath, if he messed with the Sabbath, they were up in arms. They would be there and just waiting and it said in one place, they're just waiting. It's the Sabbath. They're waiting to see if he's going to heal. They are so warped. They are mad at him and waiting for him to do what they think is wrong and missing the whole fact that he is flowing in the power of God and healing people and people are getting set free. And they're mad because he's doing it at the wrong time in their eyes. Who are they getting healed? So they're mad because Jesus is not washing the way they think he ought to. Verse 39, Then the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. He's not, he's not mincing any words here. This is not politically correct at all. This is just, he's calling them out. These guys have rank. These guys are, quote-unquote, respected. And he's just cutting right through it. Verse 40, foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But rather give alms of such things as you have, then indeed all things are clean to you. Verse 42, but woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. Notice, they are tithing mint. In other words, they are taking a, a plant, the mint, and they're counting the leaves. And they're, they're so 
caught up with doing these things outwardly right, but they pass by justice and the love of God. They are passing by the big issues, pointing their finger at the small things, saying, you have to do it this way and this way and this way. And if you don't, and inside, Jesus has said, you are full of greed and wickedness, but you're pointing the finger at everybody else. These you ought to have done without leaving the others have done. Now, he didn't say you shouldn't tithe. He didn't say you shouldn't do some of these things. They were over the top in their execution. But he said you should have done these things, but not leave the others undone. Verse 43, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. Look really quickly, he said this is... Uh, some of this is parallel in Matthew 23, uh, verse 23. He, this whole area in Matthew 23, he is just lamb-blasting these guys. I mean, this is just a part of it. He's just over and over just calling them out on all kinds of stuff. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, but have neglected the weightier manners of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You know, you're, again, it's just like the whole thing, I'm going to help you get the speck out of your eye, but I have this huge two-by-four in my eye. These guys, he's saying, you're straining at this gnat, but you'll swallow this huge animal, a camel. But you're going to go, but you're, you're, you're swallowing the gnat. How dare you? But, you, but they're, they're doing, I mean, how, how much bigger is a camel than a gnat? I mean, what's the, the area on that? I don't know, that's got to be. How many gnats could fit in a camel? I'm curious now, but that's a lot. I mean, so how many times worse, bigger thing are they thinking about here? And they're, they're eating, and they're like, oh, but, you know, you're, you're, you're swallowing the gnat. Verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside is full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish, that the outside may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are, are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautifully, beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead man's bones and uncleanness. Even so, you outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is hard, isn't it? Where does God, does God look on the heart or the outward appearance? He looks on the heart. What are these guys doing? They are concerned with the outward. Jesus was harder with the Pharisees and these people than anybody. You can see it right here, right? He is hammering them. Why is he hammering them? Because they are full. These guys are in charge of guiding God's people, and they, he, they are putting on them such a weight they are constantly telling them, you got to do this and this and this and this and this. And they themselves are full of all this disgusting internal junk. But they're pointing their finger at everybody else and saying, you have to do this. And they're how many thousands of times worse? 
And Jesus is very hard on them. He said, you're like whitewashed tombs. It's like, yeah, it's really pretty on the outside, but inside it's dead. So he's hammering them. You can see his priorities. Let's look at John 8, verse 1. Well, how does God look at things? He looks at the internal. He looks below the surface. You understand, nobody can fool him. Now, we're going to get into this, I believe, later, not today. This is a different sermon. But you don't have to worry about God being hoodwinked. Some people are real concerned that somebody's getting away with something. Are you, are you serious? So you see something that God doesn't see. Really? Well, God, deal with them. We, we talked about that last week with Mary and Martha. Was it last week? You know, Martha is, is like Jesus. Tell her to help me. He's, you know, he, she interrupts him. Jesus, would you just tell Mary to help me? She's doing the wrong thing, and, and she got rebuked. We don't need to help God. God is infinitely greater than we are. He sees everything. Yeah, but they did this, God. You don't think God, see, God saw that? And you know he knows why they did it, what they were thinking exactly. He knows the, the thoughts they, that they had. You know, I'm in, a, <clears throat> I have a software background, and when something goes wrong in a system, it's really nice if you have a system that logs all the events in the system, because then something goes wrong, you can look back and say, what was going on before this happened? And you look back and go, oh, this and this and this and this was happening, so this happened. And it might look like it's going wrong for some reason on the external. You might think, this looks like there's a problem over here. But then you dig in and you look internally and go, ah, actually this broke over here and it just popped up over here. And sometimes you can see that because there's a history. But do you understand when something goes wrong with somebody else's life, we may say, well, they did that and they did it because of this. And we have no clue, and God looks, and He knows everything that led up to it. He knows what they were dealing with. He knows the thought pattern. He knows exactly what was going through their mind the instant they did whatever we're upset about. But we're going to go out and say, well, yeah, but it was because of this. Why don't we just admit, we don't really know. And if we get in there and try to play Him, we're acting like He isn't Him. Like He doesn't know He needs help. We're not him. John 8, verse 1. John 8, verse 1. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, morning he came on, again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. When the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman, uh, then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. Now we know about these guys, right? We've read other verses about these guys. You know what Jesus thinks of these guys, eventually. But they are going to take somebody, and they caught, caught her in, that, in adultery, and said, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. So they found somebody... Maybe it was a setup. We don't know. There's, there's no guy there. So where did the guy go? We don't know. 
You know, was he a buddy of theirs? Was this, we don't know. But all we know is they got the woman and they're going to try to trick Jesus and bring her, humiliate her, throw her into, in front of everybody and say, you know, we found this lady caught in the act of adultery. Verse 5, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you see? See, they're trying to trick him. They're trying to use the law against him. They're trying to use, they're trying to get him to, to, to take sides against the law, against what uh, they perceive as the right way to do things. So he said, they say, you know, we found this lady. She's committed adultery. The law says she should be stoned. What do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. See, what? they're consumed with criticizing Jesus. It keeps them up at night. That's all they think. They're not concerned with people. They're not concerned with helping anybody. They're not happy when somebody gets healed. They want to destroy people. I mean, you can see it. Jesus said, you're full of, of just greediness. What do you say? Greed and wickedness. You're, you're bringing a woman and you're going to expose her and say, she did, the, did this and, and expose her in front of everybody and then bring her. Now, the law was harsh. The law said this ought to happen. But they're intense they don't even really care, evidently, about upholding the law. Their intent in this situation is to get Jesus. It's not like they're, they're just full of zeal for doing the right thing. They are purely using this as a tool to trip up Jesus. They don't care. They're just trying to get him. So, they say, this is what the law says, what do you say? So Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as, as though he did not hear. I bet you that ticked him off. <laughs> Verse 7, And when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and stood to them and said, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. It ought to be like this over time, but it's not always the case, you know. You notice it did start with the oldest person and go to the last. When you've been around, you ought to realize that you're not perfect and that you make mistakes. And when somebody falls, you, you ought to realize, I could do the same thing. Young people, the younger they are, you know, you hear, people can be idealistic and think, be oblivious to their faults, not have much self-awareness. Thank God for youth. You know, you have a lot of zeal there. You have a lot of uh, just take it, run with it, get the job done. But you need wisdom and experience as well. But here, the old people, the older people are the first ones to go, yeah, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm not going to mess with this. And on down. So it beginning with the oldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. 
go and sin no more. Notice he didn't condone what she did, but he had mercy on her. And, you know, Jesus is acting, he's walking as a man, anointed by the Holy Spirit. So in whatever God reveals to him through the Holy Spirit, he knows, but he's not omniscient as he's walking as Jesus. He's not walking as God with all the, the powers that God has. He was walking as a man. The Bible says he laid aside the, the weight of his power and glory. He, he wasn't walking knowing everything. He had to operate in the gifts of the Spirit and operate being led by the Spirit. So here, you know, another place with the woman at the well, he told her, you, you know, the lady said, I, I'm not married. This isn't, uh, I'm, you know, I don't have a husband. He said, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband. Uh, the last, you've been married five times and the one that you're with isn't uh, your husband. So he knew that by the Spirit of God. But here, unless God reveals something to him, he, he doesn't know everything about the, the woman. But here he says, I'm not going to condemn you either. Go and sin no more. He has mercy on her. God, the Father, knows all. He knows where this woman came from. He knows where she's going. He knows the, the conditions. But notice, Jesus was, he, he dealt with these, these Pharisees. He dealt with, the, the, um, with these people that were looking at the outward, now, the, the outward appearance. Now, here, they're just trying to trip Jesus up. But we see the, the way they are approaching is looking at the outward, digging in on the, the, the minutiae, and basically, uh, they are not dealing fairly with people. They are pointing their finger at people when they themselves are doing something much, much worse, which is what we read initially in our, our, our scriptures. Trying, they're not even trying to help remove the speck. They're just pointing at the speck. They're, they're ridiculing for the speck. They're saying, this is why the speck's there. You should get rid of the speck in your eye. What, why is it there? And you shouldn't, you're, you're so bad for having the speck. And they're not doing anything. They're not doing anything to help get rid of it. So God, He looks on our hearts. He does not deal with us based on our, the outward. He's not fooled by what anybody thinks. And this is actually good news for us. If you have a heart to serve Him, then we got to know that God's dealing with us based on our heart, not based on everything that you do and don't do. Now, the wages of sin are death. You don't want to mess with sin. But God is looking at people based on what's going on on the inside. We don't know the heart of anybody. Truly, even even people that you know very well, you do not know their deep, their, their complete inward being. Oh, I know everything about them. Everything? Can you, can you recite everything, every instance that happened to them their whole life? Every word that was spoken to them? Everything that they learned, everything that they saw, every response they had? Well, you know, that I don't know. You don't know everything. We know, if you put it in that perspective, you know a fraction of your spouse. Well, I know them really well. Like I said, years and years of decisions. Are you with them every day? 
all throughout the day? Are you connected to their brain? Know everything that's going in and out of it all the time. You put it like that, you know a fraction of any human being. But God knows everything. And how does he judge other people? By the, what's going on in their heart. You don't know somebody's experience growing up. See, the way we judge, the way we tend to, to judge, our, you know, when I say judge, where you, you sum up somebody, is based on our experience, where we've come from, how we would do it, our strengths, that we may not say it like this, but we are looking at people based on our strengths, our weaknesses, what we see. And when we see somebody do something, we're processing, more than likely, usually, default reaction, we're judging based on what we would do. We are summing up and assessing if they did this, if they did such and such, they must have thought this and they did it because of that. That's judging somebody because you don't know. You don't know everything that somebody went through when they were growing up. You can think, why don't you just get your act together in this area? It's not that hard to do X. How do you know it's not hard for them? Did you live with them growing up? Maybe they dealt with a mother or father that behaved in such a way and put things into them from the time they were zero. Certain patterns, and they've seen it over and over and over and over. And the thing you're talking about, they've had decades put into them of going one way. And just for them to get this little bit into doing it, you know, getting away from that, is taking all the discipline and willpower they have. And for you, you never had all that other stuff put into you. And so you're thinking, why don't you just get it together? It's not hard. It's not hard for you. Are you with me? Yes. We look at sometimes cultures that are different from ours. And we'll say, why, don't you, why do you have a problem with that? It's just not that hard. Why don't you do that? That's judging. How do you, do you understand in, in maybe in this culture, the, uh, things are done differently. So they've seen it over and over, done a different way. And so you're saying, why don't you do it this way? Because I don't have a problem with that. This is really easy for me. And they, if, if we had that flipped on us, there are certain things that are difficult for us. And somebody could look at us and say, why don't you just get that together? Well, you've been doing it for 30 years. It's not that easy, is it? Is it easy to break something you've done for decades to change your behavior? Anybody tried it? Yes. You try, with the power of God, you can do it. But if it's with the power of God, why are we looking at somebody else like they should just have it done? If we not acknowledge it's with the power of God and His mercy, then it's going to be with the power of God and, and mercy that they're going to get it done. And it's only by the mercy of God that we're even doing what we're doing. And if we acknowledge that, oh, our, our look towards somebody else starts to change. We don't understand what's going on on the inside. Help me out. God judges the heart. He looks on the heart, not on the inward, or not on the outward. You know, just with even personalities, people, you got somebody that's detailed, and it comes really easy for them to pick stuff up and to, to, to keep stuff in order. And so then they can look at their spouse or, you know, you know what, understand opposites attract. And so typically the stuff that's real easy for you is not so easy for your spouse. 
and vice versa, but you can look at somebody at work. You can look at somebody in the family. But let's say somebody's real detailed, and they say, well, this is, you know, why don't you just keep that clean? Why don't you just do that, you know, uh, you know keep, keep that system in place? Why don't you just keep that the way it's supposed to be and can get judgmental? Why don't you do this and this and this to somebody that's more go with the flow? Not so detailed. But the other person could look at him in some situations and go, why are you so rigid? There's just people here, there's stuff going on, and the same person that are maybe detailed in certain things, because they want everything like this, if it's not like this, they start freezing. And they can't do anything. They're like, and the person that just goes, why is it so hard for you? Why don't you just go talk to the person? Come on, let's get it going, let's get it moving. And then they're, they're paralyzed. Because they want to try to figure everything out before they move, and they can't. They don't have enough time, so they're, they're locked. And so the one, they could point fingers at each other all day going, why don't you do this? And you don't understand. I mean, the person, one person may not understand how difficult it is for the other person just to do what they find so easy because they're geared that way. We don't know what other people are dealing with and how much, how hard or easy it is for them to do any given task. And for us to go, why don't you just get it together, is that's completely judgmental. It is completely not believing the best, and it is not looking on the heart. God may be looking at them going, if you understood where they came from, and what their dad did to them, and the number of things they were, that were said to them, they are good to just do this. Now, we're not making excuses for behavior. We're talking about looking at somebody and dealing with somebody merciful the way God would deal with them. We're not saying it doesn't matter what you do and it just doesn't matter, there's no standards. No, we're saying we need to understand that not everybody has the background we do and we can't look at what we see. We, have to, we don't have access to their heart. We don't. So what, how do we need to walk with people? I don't know your heart. I can see what you're dealing with. I can deal with that, but... And maybe we have to adjust some, something if there's behavior or standards or if you're in a position of management or a position, you know, parenting. But to go and say, you're always doing such and such. Why can't you just do that? It's judgmental. It's actually siding with the enemy, like what we talked about the last couple weeks. And it is not God. What, we need to just step aside and go, God, I don't know their heart. You do. This would appear to me like this, but I don't. I don't know them. I don't know their culture. I don't know where they came from. Does it mean just everything flies? No. But if we're on the side of, you should be doing this, we are just like the Pharisees. We are just like these teachers of the law. And you saw how Jesus dealt with them. Were you saying just Jesus is going to deal with me so harshly? When we start criticizing, we are siding with the enemy. You don't want to mess with trying to take God's job. It is so much easier just to sidestep and go, oh, not going to fall into that trip. Well, they're like this. Maybe it be like that, but that's not coming out of my mouth. I'm going to have mercy on them. You just cut that off right there. Well, they're probably saying that because of this. Why can't they ever get that? You know what? I'm going to love them anyway. We just sidestep something, you know, that the... the the pull, these thoughts, it's sidestepping, it's trying to get 
us into a position where we are judging somebody and taking the position of God in their life. We don't want that. We want to be like He is and just look at their heart. Let's look at one more scripture here. I'll give you another example. James 2, verse 1. All right, for if there should come into your assembly a, a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a, a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wear the fine clothes and say to them, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there and sit here at my footstool, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So what's he saying? So somebody comes in and they look, they look apart. And he's talking about money here. Look, look like they're rich. Look like they have something together. And we go, oh, well, you should sit here. This is the place for you. And somebody comes in, they look like they don't have it together. Oh, well, you just go, go sit over there, whatever. See, we are taking what we see and we're, we're acting based on that. It's, it's arrogant. It's snobby. Now, everything we're saying, what we're, what, why, we're, why I believe God has us on this is to bring us up in these areas. If, if we walk out of here condemned, we've missed it. If you ever walk out of a service just feeling condemned, either the word wasn't preached or you're, you're letting the enemy get in there and lie to, to you. We're covering these things. I believe why we're covering these things I mean, this is what I believe the Lord would have us to, to, to teach on right now, and I believe He's helping us to, to cover these things, is to bring us up in an area to get us free from certain things that are the trap of the enemy that will bring us, they'll hinder our growth. They'll hinder our ability to receive from God. Because if I'm looking at you and saying, ah, you're not doing this and that, I can't receive God's mercy like I ought to. You know, if we look in and we're just always like what's saying here in James, looking and going, ah, well, you know, you look pretty cool. Yeah, I like that shirt. Ah, hey, you come over here. Well, I don't, I don't really think, you know, I don't like what you look like. You look like you're from this and this, and I don't, I don't think that's too great, so whatever, I don't really care. We are judging somebody's heart. We're allowing ourselves to play right in the hands of the enemy in these areas. People do it, I mean, let's be honest, people do it with cultures, they do it with races, they do it with, uh, you know, male-female, uh, companies, parts of the country. It's funny, because I've lived on the East Coast, and I've lived in the Midwest. And I lived in, Oklahoma isn't really the South, you know, it's Southwest, near, near um, Texas. But when I was in the Midwest, people had a certain perception of how people would be out in the East Coast. I mean, I said we didn't talk about it every day, but you hear different things. You know, how people are, you know, snobbish or cold and whatever. And I heard people talk about, you know, the, the, the congregations and different things. People would talk about certain things. And, and then I'm out here, and I hear people the way they talk about people in the South and the Midwest. <clears throat> you know, I'm working, and they're going, yeah, they're like this and this and just, and I'm like, Keep my mouth shut. <laughs> they find out I'm from Nebraska or whatever. But no, they, you know, they're, and even when they, they know where I'm from, they're talking about them the South or something. These people, they just don't know this and that. I'm like, I know people from the South. Have you been there? 
<laughs> but you got people, they're, they're prejudiced both ways. Do you know everybody in the Midwest? Do you know everybody in the South? Have you ever lived there? I mean, come on, that's, that's generalities. That's judging. That's putting people in whole groups and saying everybody like that is like this. Oh, you're from there? Well, you know, you're different. But just a moment before, we're, we're, we're acting like we're just lumping people together. That's a tool of the devil. That's a tool of the devil to divide families, to divide you know, places of business, to divide churches, whatever. And if we realize that when we see that coming, we just start saying, nope, I'm not going to fall for that. That is, I know where that leads. I know what Jesus thinks of it. I've already heard about what he thinks of it. I know it's not good for me. I know it's not going to help them. It is not godly. Just to love on people and get on God's side. I remember um, one person was telling the story of this new convert, this new lady that, that came into a, a, I believe it was a congregation or a Bible study, and she was from a background, uh, and she, she just wore really skimpy clothing because that's what she had. She just got born again, and she came in, and people were like, all the ladies were like, oh my gosh, would somebody throw a sheet over her or something, you know? And they wanted to do something about it, but just don't. Just, she doesn't even, she doesn't understand. Just, just, and I'm not saying there's not a time and place. If you have the position, if you have the way into somebody's life to talk to them. But you have to have that position. You have to have that way. You can't just go around bossing people and correcting everybody's life. And in this situation, they just, just give her some time. Let her go. And so as she grew a little bit in the Lord, she started to realize, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to be dressing like this, but that, those are the clothes she had. And so she asked some of the ladies, you know, I just, I realized, I, I'd really like to wear something that's a little more modest. Could you help me? Do you have any clothes? And they were all over themselves trying to help her. <laughs> are you kidding me? They were trying to help her deal with it. But if they would have said, ah, we don't, we don't serve your kind. What's your problem? Don't you know? Maybe that's what she saw all her life. She doesn't, she doesn't, even, she doesn't even understand she's doing anything. And this is a key point. We don't know what somebody else sees and what they don't see. God does. You may have grown to a certain point in certain areas and you, because of your background, because of the, what God has been doing with you. You see certain things and you have grown and you see if I did such and such, that would be wrong for me. If I did such and such, God has dealt with me, and I understand I'm not supposed to do with that. Do that. But you don't know where God has dealt with every other person. And so they may not even see certain things. And for you to say, well, you should be doing such and such because, after all, God's dealt with me, that is putting yourself in a position you have no access to their heart. You don't know that they don't see that. You don't know if they do. You don't know their background. You don't understand that. And we should stay on God's side. There may be some, so, it's so easy and Satan will, he'll, he'll help you. you to look at somebody and go, oh, well, they're in that position. They ought to be doing such and such. Don't even mess with that. They're doing such, they ought to know this. Says who? Well, David, you ought to be 
you know, you ought to be the, the height of Saul. You ought to do such and such. He was rejected. Well, you shouldn't be, you know, just out in the middle of the fields and whatever. You ought to look like a warrior. Rejected. You, out in the, the shepherd, you come up here. You're king. David had experience. David had killed the lion and the bear. He knew. God knew where he was going. Did David have flaws in him? Yeah, we know that from his life. But we don't know what people see. We don't know where they're going. We don't know what God has spoken to them. We don't know what's in their heart. And we need to just let God be God and say, I just am going to sow mercy and love in this situation. God, help them. And God, I know I want you to help me. So I'm just going to stay right in this little comfort zone of I'm going to bless you, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to expect God just to help me and have mercy and love on me. And we can live there. Isn't it so much better than anybody, anytime you see anybody, you got to sum up, up and, and sum up, and, uh, sum them up and, and, and analyze them in what you, your unlimited understanding. Why put that on yourself? I got to go, oh, you're this and this. And you're, you could spend all day doing that and doing nothing of what God's called us to do instead of just being free. Amen. Praise God. He's helping us. Lord, we just thank you so much.